Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Life. Your host again is the one and only Kylie Webb, because there's no one else on this podcast. And I'm currently sitting in my bed with a towel around my hair, all cozied up with socks on, and the computer right in front of me with the microphone directly in my right hand, and my left hand on the mouse pad of my laptop. I didn't have to give you that information, but I just gave it to you anyway. Anyway, (laughs) I have a really fun one today to give you, and we're going to talk about uh, how homosexuality is definitely 100% not a sin, and uh, we should stop spreading that because it is stopping people from accepting themselves, and when people do not accept themselves, they hurt themselves. If you can't love your full self, then it is really really hard to love other people's full selves and so part of loving others is about loving yourself and accepting yourself fully and so this is why i went in so quickly into this is because i really want to make sure it's condensed so that people can get this information and that they can feel okay and they stop uh equating their natural born sexuality with the sin because it's stopping them from truly 100% accepting and loving themselves, which is also hindering them in other relationships. Okay, so starting out, there are seven texts that we're going to look at. And if you have a paper and pen or something particular to that, um, we're going to start with Genesis 9, 20 through 27 and Genesis 19, 1 through 11, which both describe rape or attempted rape. And then Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13, which describes cultic prostitution. And then 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 10 and 1 Timothy 1.10, which describes male prostitution and pederasty. Uh, and then Romans 1.26 through the 27, we are going to look into the Isis cult in Rome. So something I want to make clear that I feel like a lot of Christians forget about is that in Christianity, it's actually a very multitudinous uh, religion. There are supposedly over 44,000 different denominations of Christianity, um, ranging from very fundamental, uh, very literal reading and understanding of the Word of God to very progressive, liberal, modern um relationship with the word and a more uh, modern thought and then there are mystical christians that stand outside of uh, the boundaries of left and right and more so balanced in the middle and we can see this all throughout that there are different doctrines depending on what denomination you're a part of and just because a denomination tends to be bigger doesn't necessarily make it right nor does it make it wrong it just means that there's more For example, say a church tends to do crusades and force conversion on other people, they probably will have more people born into that religion than people who didn't force their particular denomination down other people's throats and force them to convert or else they would kill them. So this is just taken into consideration because I know there's a lot of Christians who say, well, hey, this denomination is very, very big and they don't believe that it's right. Also, yes, you have to consider the conversions, the heresy, and all the other things with it, and understand that definitely a church in itself is not perfect, 
and it's not the establishment, it is the relationship. We are not here to talk about religion, we're more so trying to talk about what God was trying to intend, what God was trying to speak forth to the people, not what man was trying to create, but what God intended for man to see. And if people are genuinely born gay, and they cannot help it, and they genuinely want to have uh, children, and a wonderful family, a wonderful home, and grow old with someone, are they supposed to deny that ability while other people can just because their attraction so happens to be with the same sex? And so we're going to look into that today, and we're going to dive into the first one, which has to do with Genesis 9 verses 20 through 27. So in this one, um, pretty much Noah and Ham, there is a whole issue where Noah um, gets very, very drunk and he lays naked in his tent. And so Ham, which is the father of Canaan, saw Noah naked, his father, and um, pretty much what he did was he went in there and realized that there was little bad thing that happened by Ham, if you get what I'm saying. And so a lot of people assume that uh, the, the wrong thing about it, what caused them to be cursed, was the homosexual act. Um, but if you actually look deeper into it, this was a form of non-consensual rape, and this does not condone a consensual, loving, monogamous marriage between uh, two people of the same gender. It condones a non-consensual rape between um, Ham and his father. So that's a very big difference um, in the making. So if this was an act of rape, then why do we specifically condone homosexual rape and we don't condone heterosexual rape? I mean, rape is rape. It's non-consensual, it's forceful, it's uh, humiliating, especially it's disgusting because it's non-consensual and it's incestual too because Ham did it with his father, which is absolutely disgusting. Um, so there's a lot of things that point to non-consensual rape. It doesn't make it right if it's with a man, woman, woman, man, an animal. It's just wrong to rape anything against their will. So um, when people try to blame homosexuality as a curse, it really does not make sense in this aspect at all. There are also some scholars who believe that um, Ham didn't even rape Noah and it was more of he saw him naked. And this is because the word for uncover the nakedness is in the Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean to lie with, to have sex with, but it means more so to see. So there are some scholars who believe that the offensive action was just a viewing Noah naked and it was a purity violation and that was wrong in the eyes of Noah and within the religion. And so this is not about two uh, men who are in a consensual, loving, monogamous, homosexual relationship. This is about either forceful rape, uh, which is humiliating and wrong and incestual, or purity violation having to do with seeing his father naked. The next one we're going to look at is we're going to take a break from Genesis and we're going to move into the New Testament and we'll go back to Genesis. I just want to make sure that everyone 
um, who is listening can listen to a variety from Old Testament, New Testament, and just uh, that way they have a little bit of each. So we are going to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 and 1 Timothy 1, 10. And pretty much uh, the verses, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. This was a verse I was deeply afraid of for a very long time. But when you actually look at the Greek behind um, the word uh, malakoi, it literally um, translates to soft person or passive one. And um, it could refer to people who take a passive role in sex, men and boys, and oftentimes who use money in order to get sex. And it could also mean slaves who are passive and their masters um, take them in a sexual way, which is not appropriate and is outside the view of marriage. And so really considering this, it's very narrow to apply it to homosexuality when it that's not even the original definition of the Greek word. That's the implied uh, definition of what the English translation believes it to be. And that's a very different thing than the original definition. Also, sodomites literally means um, arsenikoitoi. Uh, probably butchered that, but I tried, and it literally means men who go to bed. And so this word does not occur prior to Paul in Greek literature. And so this actually doesn't even describe any particular sexuality. Um, Paul uses the term koitai by itself to simply mean excessive sexual activity. So it would be a little cautious in describing it as something other than that and the english translation definitely implied uh homosexuality with that or english interpreters by saying instead of sodomite homosexuals so there's definitely potential biases in scripture if we are not careful we can definitely um just run right through them and not even realize it so the three potential definitions for the word arsenikoitoi um, is one, it refers to older men who have sex with young boys, two, someone who is sexually rapacious, and then three, it could even mean economic oppression. But with the information gathered, it is most likely sexually rapacious people. And in no way does it condemn a loving consensual homosexual relationship within marriage so we know that is definitely off the table and also with first timothy 9 through 10 we have the same word used within the scripture and again the same understanding of that word is implied within the cultural context the next one in the new testament is in romans um verses 22 through 27 in chapter 1 and it starts out with claiming to be wise, they become fools, and they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a moral human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way, also the men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Now, the first thing to notice is it starts out with theromorphic idolatry, which is you take animals and you represent it in the form of God. And um, Paul starts out with this to show that it's rooted in idolatry. It's already rooted in a particular uh, sin by making reptiles and four-footed animals seem as if it is uh, the one and only creator of the whole entire universe. And so if we look into this, we can see with the cultural context that there were uh, cults that worshipped uh, particular animal deities and tried to make them seem as if they were God. And so, for example, in the Egyptian cult, the worship of goddess Isis, Isis was portrayed as a human female, but her son Horus was portrayed as a falcon. And so there were many deities that were worshipped as if they were the creator and called uh, the queen of heaven for Isis, gracious mother to Horus, and so forth. And so there were cultic processions at Rome. So culturally, this makes sense why Paul is speaking about this, because there were Isis priests who carried images of animal-faced gods and other unusual objects including a golden urn with sacred water from the Nile, and even the golden ass observed Anubis portrayed as a dog and another deity in the image of a cow, which was probably Hather in a colorful Isis parade. And so the devotees would commonly congregate and worship these images, and Paul was definitely addressing the situation because it's very clear now with the cultural context that those who worshipped these animals were from a certain type of people. And so this audience, it makes sense because this letter is an epistle to the Romans where this is going on at that current time. So pretty much Paul was condemning um, these historically connected cults that were practicing not, again, consensual loving homosexual relationships, but priestly cults that were into uh, pedophilia and having sex outside of marriage and doing these things as a ritual to their animal gods. And so the understanding is very different when you are in the culture of what he's talking about. And so others also believe that he was condemning other goddess cults that were in the ancient Mediterranean world and goddesses such as Cybele from Asia Minor and Diana from Ephesus and Aphrodite from Greece and Venus Rome and so there's just a lot to understand when it comes to what he's saying because realistically he's not talking to the Romans who are following uh, God in the sense of the church that he established he's talking about a certain group of people and understanding what they're doing and realizing there's a connection there's something really really not okay about what they're doing and in the context of that, we can understand that th- they are doing something that is not okay. It isn't approved by God. And it makes sense. If you're throwing around sex, if it's around an 
animal idol and it's just sexual uh, rapaciousness all over and people are just having sex all over you're not valuing marriage you're not valuing coming together in a union whether it's female or male that isn't being valued and that's what god wants for us is he wants us to find someone to uh grow old with someone to live our lives with if we feel called to not to just go around with random people and just have sex with all of them and worship little animal gods and so understanding that really definitely helps us realize what paul was condemning um and that little section so the second to last scripture that people often use to condemn homosexuality has to do with sodom and gomorrah so there are two accounts of uh, sodom and gomorrah spoken within the bible one is in judges 19 and the other one is in genesis 19 and um, it's really important to use the principles of intertextuality and to be able to refer to both where one leaves out information refer to the other one and i mean that's assuming that the uh, biblical authors expected us to do so and so a lot of times um, people use this as a reason why homosexuality is not okay and first of all i will start out with the story uh two angels stay with lot and um pretty much people pound on the door and say hey let us have sex with those two men and lot says oh no they're my guests have sex with my children my daughters which was absolutely not okay um and there was that whole ordeal and so if we apply intertextuality we see that um this narrative in genesis 19 uh we have the townsmen try to rape two angels who are presumably male but we know angels are neither male or female and then in judges 19 though a woman is actually raped and so if genesis 19 condemns homosexuality then clearly Judges 19 condemns heterosexuality because these men presumably raped a woman. So people who love to use Genesis 19 to condemn homosexuals have to avoid Judges 19 because it destroys their argument altogether. And we can even dive more into this with the other passages in the Bible that talk about this Sodom imagery. Uh, For example, in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 and verses 16 through 17 um it says if the lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors we would have been like sodom and become like gomorrah hear the word of the lord you rulers of sodom listen to the teaching of our god you people of gomorrah wash yourselves make yourselves clean remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes cease to do evil learn to do good seek justice rescue the oppressed defend the orphan plead for the widow and so and here we see that um the prophet isaiah compares a nation of judah to sodom and gomorrah declaring that they almost became like those two destroyed cities because of their sins so when isaiah tells the people of judah what they should be doing the categories are justice for the oppressed the orphans, and the widows. And the implication of the sins of social injustice in Judah are being attacked by the prophet, and further implication of the comparison indicates that these were the sins of Sodom that he was addressing. So another thing is in Jeremiah twenty three fourteen, 
It says, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a more shocking thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from wickedness. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Nowhere in this verse does it refer to homosexuality. And you can see that it refers to adultery and walking in lies and strengthening the hands of evildoers. There's nothing about a loving, consensual, same-sex marriage that is implied at all. Um, And if we continue to go forth in Ezekiel 16 verses 48 through 50, we can also see um, in this verse, As I live, says the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride excess of food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and needy they were haughty and did abominable things before me therefore i removed them when i saw it so this clearly identifies the sin of sodom as failure to help the poor and needy and that was the um the elusive thing that we can see so there is no allusion to a sexual sin such as homosexuality but we do see that it did refer to adultery. So we just have to pick apart these verses and realize it's not adding up to homosexuality. It's not adding up to a loving, consensual, homosexual relationship. These people in Sodom and Gomorrah tried raping house guests. They tried um, hurting them. They weren't being hospitable. There were uh, sins of adultery. There were sins of not helping the poor and needy. This is different. The very last um, one that people use to condemn homosexuality, a loving consensual relationship with the same sex, is Leviticus 18 and 20. And these are a list of prohibitions that refer to against having sex with close relatives, and such lists can be also found other places. So, for example, in Leviticus 18, 21 through 24, you shall not give any of your offspring to sacrifice them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with the males, with the woman. It is an abomination. You shall not have sexual relations with any animal and defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman give herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these, for by all these practices the nations I am casting out before you have defiled themselves." And the first thing to note is that these um, cultic uh, rules were specific during a specific time period. Um, And a lot of the rules that came after this were you should not mix two clothings. um, Just you should have women uh, bleed in tents outside. There's a lot of very specific strange rules. There's even one where if a man and another man are getting in a fight and a woman comes up and grabs his private part, you need to chop off her hand. And so, (laughs) realistically, um, picking and choosing, this is not the best place to pick and choose and to really have an argument, because if you choose to abide by one, you should abide by all. And knowing that these are culturally for a certain time and place, and they refer to particular reasons of having it that way, it makes sense that this is just the reality for the Jews at that time, supposedly what God commanded of them. Um, and the reality being is that 
um, in the cultural context, it starts out with uh, sacrifice your offspring to Molech. And this section particularly um, goes into a cultic, uh, ritual cultic section of defilement. So it's referring to first the sacrifice of kids, and it also talks about all these different um, sexual behaviors. Now, it doesn't necessarily refer to uh, a same-sex loving consensual relationship. It refers to sexual perversions outside of marriage. And we can see this because at first, the first line is sacrificing your children to another deity. And um, back around this time, the Jews were surrounded by nations that were involved in um, infant sacrifice, that practice sexual uh, cult-like behavior around deities. So there's nothing about a loving, consensual uh, marriage between um, two of the same sex, but it much so refers to uh, cultic ritual sex, which is outside of the bonds of marriage and is uh, an abomination. And so realistically, um, looking at the culture, especially with the other verses, we realize that there's this particular type of sexual activity that does not build people up, but that is more so of a selfish means, more so of uh, reasons for around idolatry, around uh, lesser gods, around animal gods, that they are doing these sexual encounters in order to either get power over people, to get power from their deities, but this is not having to do with, again, a loving, consensual, homosexual relationship. Because realistically, we know that um, there is more than just two expressions of sexual chromosomes. There's actually six possible different chromosomal expressions that can dictate um, who or how you express your masculine or feminine energy. And that's just science. So realistically, not everyone's going to fit perfectly in a binary. And similarly, we're also aware that epigenetics within the womb can uh, definitely enhance a certain sexuality based off of the hormones a baby receives or a lack of hormones a baby receives. So oftentimes in religion, it's really easy to focus on binaries and try to categorize and put people in one binary over another binary and to polarize things, but in reality, life is not in binary. There are many women who act more like men. There are many men who act more like women, but what even is a woman supposed to act like? What even is a man supposed to act like? And we can see that culture has defined that expression depending on where you are, depending on what type of society you're in. So whether you're in a patriarchal system, a matriarchal system, or an egalitarian system, uh, gender expressions and who is in charge um, is expressed. So, if, for example, in Judaism, predominantly it was a patriarchal system. And so women, for a very long time, did not have the same rights as men. They were very, very dependent on men for safety, protection, food, and land. And oftentimes they were seen as property, just like the cattle that the men owned. And then in other societies, such as uh, different areas, um, were matriarchal. And that means that women were in charge and men were subordinate. 
but obviously it was a lot less because a lot less religions had women as the predominant sex. And then lastly, there's egalitarian societies that focus on equality between the sexes and they don't judge what's between your legs dictates what is considered property or not property or what considers someone the ability to discriminate you from being able to own land. And so realistically, through culture, we have defined gender expression. We have defined sexuality based off of our culture, society, religion, and we have created what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong, almost like a binary system. But if anything, we hopefully can see that life is more than binaries, that there are so many complex reasons that someone ends up the way they do. And if we are going to close our minds and assume that they should fit into one out of two categories, we're not really making it easier on anyone and we're making people feel left out. And frankly, for me and my personal experience with uh, obviously being not straight and in the church, uh, specifically the evangelical church, is I felt uh, like a misfit. I felt like I didn't belong because what I was shown was right was if you're a female, this is how you act. If you're a male, this is how you act. If you uh, adopt male attributes, if you adopt what males like, if you go too far into that area, you become wrong. Your actions are wrong. So there's a limit of how you can express yourself. There's a limit of who you can like. And there's this desire to fit people into a box. And I felt that. And I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want to sin. And I was super afraid that God would chuck me in hell for eternity because I was not in the proper binary. And so for a long, long time, I hurt uh, myself and I hurt others because I was taught to hate uh, homosexuality. I was taught to hate it and see it as a sin, to see a part of me as sin. But see, the reality is if you are a homosexual, if you are born this way, then you don't get a second choice. So, for example, in order for something to be a temptation, you have a choice between doing something that is right and doing something that is wrong. So, for example, let's say that you are in your buddy's home and you see a shiny skateboard and you say, wow, I am tempted to steal that. So, you have two choices, two options. Either A, you don't steal it and you do the right thing, or B, you steal it and you do the not so right thing. And with that logic, it would make sense if you try to apply that to someone who is homosexual and who only has one choice, who cannot be attracted to the opposite sex, it doesn't make any sense. If it's supposed to be a temptation, then technically that person is supposed to be able to have two choices. And so that's the thing that never made sense to me is that I was never given a second choice, so I thought I was doomed. I thought it was the worst of the worst for being this way. I thought it was absolutely horrible that I couldn't even conjure up the choice to like a man. And that caused me to hate myself even more. It caused me to hate myself so much that I would project that hate onto other people and I would hurt other people. 
and um, I think that just goes to show that not accepting yourself and believing the lie that it's a sin hurts not only you but it hurts the people around you because if you don't fully love yourself then how are you supposed to fully love the people around you and just going through this for so many years and at the these past few years really coming to terms with my sexuality I had to face it head on and I realized how much hatred I had in my heart for myself and how I was affecting other people by not accepting myself, by lying and saying that I liked men to fit in, to seem holy. And I didn't realize the full capacity of how hurtful it was until I finally accepted myself, until I finally said, this makes sense. Like, this is who I am. This is how God created me. I am perfect just the way I am. And I don't have to pretend to be straight. I don't have to lie about my sexuality. I can be truthful. I can be honest. And when I started loving myself and accepting myself, I saw a dramatic change in loving other people and being open and being accepting and not being judgmental. It was almost like a complete 180. And so that's why I always encourage people to really just dive in and question Uh, everything. Question the religion, question the cultures, question society, and go within and really consider how would your life change if you were born gay and you knew it and you finally accepted it? Or if you're a heterosexual, how would your life change if you accepted people who are just born that way? And if it would, how? So these are great questions to dive into and I really encourage you all to consider them. Thank you so much for listening. This has already been a really, really long podcast, so I'll probably end it here. But if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I am always here and I love you guys.